0: Thank you, Ellis, choir, Instrumentalist, for playing for us tonight. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, once again, as we open the Word of God today, I ask you to give to me that clarity of mind and clarity of, of speech that is necessary, Lord, to communicate the truth of God. I pray, Lord, that you would captivate our attention. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, in these very important moments tonight. What a special time of year it is, Lord, for us to celebrate the birth of our Lord, to look at what all that means. And now, Father, as we talk about tonight the cry of confession, I ask for you to give to me the power to deliver the Word of God, which I cannot do without you. I pray, Lord, that you will open hearts and minds, captivate attention. Lord, I pray you'll remove deception. I pray, Lord God, that you will shine the light of the gospel on hearts tonight. Encourage Christians, bring people, Lord, who are unsaved to salvation, and I commit this time to you, and I pray you will glorify yourself in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 10 tonight, if you happen to have your Bible with you, Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read a few verses here in a few moments from this passage. The cries of Christmas. That's been our series throughout the Christmas season. We've looked at Christmas through the full context of scripture. It's easy at Christmas time to run straight to Luke 1, Luke 2, Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Old Testament prophetic passages that foretell of the coming of the Messiah, but really to understand Christmas, we need to look at the entirety of the narrative of scripture, and that's what we've been doing over these past few weeks of Advent. And therefore, as I have said over the past few weeks, when we look at Christmas, we don't start really with Mary and Joseph. We start with Adam and Eve. And so I want to give us a quick recap tonight of what we've studied over the past few weeks. Uh, maybe many of you may be here for the first time. You've not been in our uh, series and you've not listened to it. Maybe you're home for Christmas. And so I want to Kind of give you this quick recap, and then I want to bring us, bring it all home tonight to this last subject we're going to talk about just for a few moments tonight, and that is the cry of confession. Now, the first thing we talked about was the cry of the curse, Genesis chapter 3. And we talked about the fact that God is the originator of all things, He is creator, He is eternal, He has always existed. He did not come into being, He has always existed, He made everything. He created Adam, the first man, and then from Adam he made the first woman, Eve. He made them male and female. He created them in his own image. These are the only beings created in his image. Adam and Eve had great fellowship with God. God gave them dominion over all the earth. They were given specific instructions to help them glorify God and to express their love to him. They were given everything they needed in what the Bible describes as the garden. They had an abundance of everything. They had access to all this abundance that was theirs, but there was one tree that God said, do not eat of this tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was placed there so that they could understand that their purpose was to glorify God. Their purpose was to serve Him. Their purpose was to worship Him. And so that would be done by their obedience to Him. See, we glorify God by denying self to obey Him. We show love to Him by obeying His commands. The Lord Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. John the Apostle said, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. And so he gave them that way in which they could do that, but then Satan tempted Eve. He tempted her to doubt the goodness of God, to question the Word of God. He tempted her to absolutely deny the authority of God's Word. Eve began to feel that God was holding something back from her. Uh, She thought she was going to be like God if she partook of this Particular fruit of the tree. That's much how the enemy works today. The enemy loves to lead us to question the Word of God. He loves to lead us to doubt the goodness of God. He wants us to think that God's trying to hold something back from us. He wants us to think that if we don't do this certain thing or fulfill this certain desire, then we're going to miss our identity. We're going to miss out on something very special. He wants us to come to a point that we completely begin to explain away the Word of God and reject Scripture and make every excuse why it's just simply not authoritative for our lives. So he's been using the same tactics, and they work. Uh, People give in to these desires. We sin. Eve did. Eve was deceived. And so she ate of the tree, and then she gave to her husband. Now, her husband had received instruction directly from God... He was not deceived. He just flat out disobeyed God by partaking of that fruit and this was a very serious offense because what happened here is they sinned against God. They committed the ultimate crime. They rebelled against the ultimate authority in existence and this was serious. Punishment had to result and no one can sin against God and not Have to pay for it. You commit a crime, you must also receive the punishment for that. And this crime resulted in the curse of sin entering into the world, and everything was affected. And the result was shame and guilt and separation from God. God's blessing upon the earth was removed to a certain degree, decay began things begin to happen even with the with the land and with plants that was different thorns begin to come up it's difficult for Adam to be able to cultivate and make a living from the land sorrow and suffering came in bad things begin to happen tragedy disease evil wicked things evil desires resulted from the fall of sin and death came not just physical death but spiritual death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The word wages means what you've earned. Death is not simply just physical death. It speaks of spiritual death, eternal separation from God. The book of Revelation speaks of the second death, when folks are cast into the lake of fire. That's the second death. And that's what sin deserves. When a person commits a crime... We expect that that person get the adequate penalty for that crime, for justice to be done. The adequate penalty for the crime of sinning against God is eternal separation from God, paying for that sin in the lake of fire, says the Word of God. Now, a person can resist that. They can say, I don't believe that. Well, they can say they don't believe it. That doesn't mean it's not true. (laughs) That's what the special revelation of God reveals to us. But there was a promise, even in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, that one would come who would crush Satan's head, who would undo the work of the enemy. Uh, The enemy's work was to deceive the human race, so the human race rebelled against God, and therefore they were alienated from God. But one would come to undo that work for all who would believe in that one Who was to come? One would be born of woman that would crush Satan and destroy his works. The cry of the curse. All of creation, all of humanity longs to be redeemed from this condition. And we talked about the cry from the cradle Luke 1 and Luke 2. Throughout the Old Testament, God formed a nation to represent him. One would come from that nation who would be blessing to all the nations of the world. One would be born who would be this hope referred to all the way back in the garden recorded there in Genesis chapter three. And when the night air of Bethlehem was disturbed by the cry of an infant, that was a sign that hope had come. This was no ordinary child. This was the eternal son of God who became human To do what needed to be done to destroy Satan's works and redeem people to God, Jesus was born. Now, Jesus did not come into existence at Christmas time. He is God the Son, the eternal Son of God, who's always existed. The Bible tells us that God became flesh and dwelled among us, that He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the scripture says in John chapter 1 and verse 1 but what he did is something unfathomable he actually became human the word of God tells us that he became in, in the he came in the likeness of men he became a human being and lived out the life we could not live. He did so with absolute perfection. He obeyed the Word of God. He obeyed God the Father with absolute perfection. The Bible tells us he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And then after living a perfect life, showing himself to be the Messiah through miracles, through his preaching, through his perfect life, he died. Remember now the consequence for sin is death and so if he's going to redeem us from death he had to die in our place and that led us to the cry of the cross john chapter 19 verses 28 through 30 we studied there was a cry on that cross the lord jesus seeing that all things were accomplished said with a loud voice it is finished and everything that Needed to be done to redeem people back to God and reverse the effects of the curse was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ through his life and his death and his resurrection. Remember, he rose from the dead the third day, he appeared to over 500 people in that 40 day period. He continued to teach them, then he ascended back to heaven with the promise that he would return, and he is going to return. And that's what we talked about this morning, the cry of His coming. And we dealt with that from 1 Thessalonians 4 and Revelation chapter 19. He will descend one day from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the Scripture talks about a great resurrection that will occur at that time. He will take His people to be with Him, and He will judge those who have rejected Him. And eventually... He will undo this earth, and He will recreate a new heaven and a new earth. And finally, all of creation is released from the effects of the curse of sin. And that gets us to tonight, the cry of confession. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, the Word of God says this, or whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The cry of confession. It's not enough to know all of those things that I've just talked about. It's not enough to be intellectually filled with all the facts that I have just talked about. Matter of fact, the Bible even tells us that The demons of hell believe all the facts about Jesus. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, You believe there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So how is it that a person benefits from this redeeming work that Jesus Christ did, this undoing of the curse so we can be redeemed and we can have a relationship with God, become children of the living God? How is it that this could be possible It's not just believing the facts intellectually. It's not just religious rituals. Some people do all sorts of religious rituals thinking that's what's going to be the redemption for them. That's what's going to somehow cancel their sin and bring them to God. Some think that if they can just be good, that is, if we can just do the good deeds that we that we deem good in our culture. If we just do those things, then that's going to earn us a spot in heaven and we're going to go be with the Lord someday. But to really benefit from what Christ did, we have to understand something that's very simple and very accessible for all people. How is one saved? How does one have eternal life? It is through faith. It is through faith that leads to action. So let me share two things. First, understand that salvation is by faith. It's not by works. It's not by rituals. It's by faith. The Word of God teaches it in many places. Justification is by faith, Paul says in Galatians. Romans chapter 3 speaks of the fact that we become righteous through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If my salvation was by my religious activity and by my works, and I, when I get to heaven, I could run around heaven boasting at what I've done. My salvation is by faith in jesus christ so when i get to heaven i will fall down on my face before the one who made it possible for me to be there it's faith that saves the word of god says and this is not some difficult task to to um, get to the bible tells us in the preceding verses that i just read to you around verse eight that it's it's um it's in your mouth and in your heart it's the word of faith it's the gospel it's the good news is a belief in the good news of Jesus Christ that leads one to action now notice in verse 10 the word of God says that with a heart, one believes under righteousness. That means the whole attitude, the whole will, all our emotions, everything about us comes to this realization of the truth of the gospel, and you let faith happen. You do not resist faith. You let faith happen, and as a result, you surrender to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He cannot be your Savior if He's not your Lord. These two are linked and, and, and you cannot escape that. You cannot say, well, he is my Savior, but not my Lord. When a person comes to this saving faith, they come to this realization of their sinful condition, their need of rescue, and they don't want to hold on to their sin. What they desire to do is turn their life over to him, turning away from their sin, trusting in what he did to take their sin away, and they surrender to him as Lord. They are submitting themselves for him to be master over their lives. You cannot come to Christ kicking and screaming and and clawing and pushing. Uh, you, You surrender all, and you're willing to surrender everything to him, and so you call on him to be your Lord and Savior. I was raised in church. I do not remember a time in my life that I did not go to church. I heard the gospel time and time and time again over the years, I went through the motions as a child, uh, not wanting to go to hell. And my dad explained to me the gospel, and I prayed that night. I don't think I fully grasped and had the understanding of surrendering myself to the Lord. And so even though I was raised in church and went every Sunday, I did not live like a true believer. I did not live as Jesus being the Lord of my life. I lived for my desires, the world influenced me. I chased after those things and 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 wanted those pleasures. I thought that I was having the best time. And after a while, what happened is I began to realize the emptiness of my own life. Those things did not fill me. Those those adventures and those experiences of pleasure, those things did not they, they did not fill me. That, that was not my purpose for being on this earth. And I can remember just feeling very melancholy, just just, just, this real emptiness about me, having all this fun, I thought. But what I realized is I, I needed something. I needed someone. And I went to a church where I heard a preacher preach the message of truth in such a way that he did not hold anything back. And my sin was confronted uh, under the preaching of god 's Word, and the Holy Spirit began to use the Word of God that pierced me like a sword that it's called in the Word of God. <laughs> the very depths of my heart had been exposed I recognized these things that I were doing that I was doing was wrong, they were sinful, they alienated me from God, and I began to wrestle with that and I began to realize that God was calling me to himself and i was I was resisting that i I was saying Lord I'll give this up, but let me hang on to this. I did not want to release my sin. But there came a point in this progress over a few months' time that I was brought to this point of of just utter surrender to Him that one night I called out to Him in saving faith and said, Lord... I am surrendering to you save me I'm turning from sin I no longer want to live the way I want to live I want you to have all of me and in that moment there was refreshing that came over me and it was as though the sin of the world was lifted off of me those weights that was there were gone I wept and I wept and I wept not tears of sadness but of joy because the Lord had cleansed me I sensed that he came into my life. He changed the way I talked. He changed the things that I did. The whole direction of my life changed. You know what, just, you know what took place in my life? A new birth. A new birth happened. I was born again. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that in Christ we become a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And you're different You do not live like everyone else in the world. That's the problem with the church today. We're trying to be like the world, trying to be, you know, accepted by the world. The world needs the church to act like the church so they can experience the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And unless we preach the full counsel of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then people are not converted. People are not radically changed. Salvation is by faith but notice the second thing quickly and that is that salvation results in confession when one comes to this point of saving faith and they are surrendering to the lord uh there's true belief there then you confess him you you fully confess him as your lord and savior through repentance and trusting in him and those who are converted they not only confess him as their Lord and Savior in that conversion moment they begin to confess him as their Lord and Savior in everyday life they don't go hide this somewhere there's a noticeable difference in their life and they will confess him publicly they will talk about him they will witness to others of him the Bible says that confession is made unto salvation those who believe conversion happens What are you depending on tonight to save you? What are you counting on to get you to heaven? The fact you were raised in church? The fact you have some religious rituals you try to adhere to and some works you think you have to do to earn you a spot somewhere? Some religious activity? Is is that it? Well, the Word of God says that's not the way to God. Have you believed in your heart? Have you believed in your heart to the point of repentance and you've surrendered to Him as Lord and Savior of your life? If you have not, will you? Is the question tonight. Will you, this Christmas Eve, call on Jesus to be your Savior? Will you confess Him now I want to ask us all to bow our heads for a moment it's a very sacred and critical moment in time right now we've just talked about the gospel of Jesus to ever benefit from the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ we need to confess him Lord have you done that if not tonight where you are in your seat you can call out to Him now and simply say to Him, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sin. I turn from my sin to You. And I trust You to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Will you do that now, where you are? The Word of God says in verse 8, The Word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the Word of faith, which we preach. Call on Him now to be your Savior and Lord. For those of us who are believers, understand that we have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to live for our Lord who saved us by His grace. It's to obey His truth, it's to serve Him, it's to worship Him, it's to be a witness for Him, it's to be a light that dispels darkness. I want to say tonight, if you would take your candle out at this time, and I'm going to ask those who are going to light those to come do that. I'm, I'm going to pray for us as you're kind of doing that, because I, I want us to understand the truth tonight about living life for the Lord. So let's let's pray as those men get in position. Heavenly Father, Lord God, in Jesus' name, I ask you now to, Lord, bless this time and help us to see, Lord, in a, just a visible way the the power of the gospel and the fact that we're called to be the light of this world. And so I pray right now we would see that visibly as we light these candles across this, this sanctuary. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. I pray for those, Lord, who still need to call on you as Savior to do so before they leave here tonight. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If each one of us will live our lives for the Lord... What an incredible difference would be made in Chipley, Florida, Vernon, Florida, Washington County, this entire surrounding region. The Word of God says in John's Gospel in chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9, He was not that light, and that's referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist came to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. That speaks of Jesus. So Jesus came to be the light of the world. He showed us the power of the gospel. He showed us the way to eternal life. And here's what Jesus said about his followers in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As all of us live out our lives for the Lord, And we tell others of the salvation hope that we have, our light shines and it dispels darkness. One time I was in a cave camping and the guide with us shut the lights out in that cave for a minute and um, he said, I want you to know how how dark this is. So he shut those lights out and, and what he told us to do at that point was to put our he said, put your thumb on your nose and wiggle your fingers, and if you can't see them, I mean, you know how dark it is. Well, he turned the lights on, and we're all doing this. But here's, here's something that's amazing. No matter how pitch the blackness, small light dispels darkness. And do you know when we're living for Jesus Christ, it dispels the darkness all around us? Gives hope to others as they see the hope of the gospel lived out in us. Look across this room and look at these lights shining. Every one of us, as we live for the Lord, dispel darkness and bring the hope of the gospel. May we do that this Christmas season. May we do that all of next year. Let our light shine so others might have the hope of the gospel.